Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Welcome, Persisters, to another episode of Persistence You with Lisbeth. Today, I am so tickled to have Lynn Podrat, who is an author. Before Lynn became an author, she graduated from Pennsylvania State University, and she spent 15 years in the fashion industry. She also was an educator and a principal, and now is sharing her writing skills in such a personal and deep way about a family member, her brother. She is the author of Listen to Me, and I just can't wait for you to listen to Lynn. Um, this, and I, did I get the title right, Lynn? You did. Wonderful. Wonderful. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And please just tell the listeners a little bit about that conversation you overheard when you were just a kid that started a beautiful, beautiful relationship. So thank you for asking me and thank you for having me come. And I just want to add, if you don't mind, because there are quite a few books out there that start with listen, listen to me, listen how. So the subtitle is How My Down Syndrome Brother Saved My Life. So that's just the clarification. I love that. Um, I think that's beautiful, beautiful subtitle. And for people who don't know, there are always multiple books with the same first title, right? It's always in the subtitle. So what a great point you make. Thank you for letting me. So um, I was going to be 13 years old. This was August of 1967. And uh, my mom had been pregnant. So I was almost 13. And my brother, my youngest at the moment, was going to be nine. He was October, I was December. Um, And we were very excited to have a new baby. We didn't mind that we were older. I was so excited. I loved having a brother. I loved taking care of him. And I was excited that he was going to have, David was now going to have the opportunity to have a baby brother like I did. So now I'd have two, but he'd at least have one. And, um, you know, my mom had gone into the hospital. It was early. My father was so excited. He came home and early in the morning and said, I have good news and bad news. And I thought, you know, your mom had a baby. What could be bad? And he goes, well, it's a healthy baby. I'm so sorry, Lynn. It's a boy. And I was ecstatic because I really didn't know what to do with the girl. And I wasn't crazy about the name she had picked for the girl, but I loved the name for the boy. So I didn't want to break his heart and say to him, <laughs> Thank God. I went, it's okay, Dad. It's okay, Dad. It's okay. But that next night, I guess it was that next night, all my grandparents were all over. They were excited. They had a new grandson. Uh, I woke up, I guess, later on in the night, and I could hear my father crying. And, you know, I, I never remember hearing my parents ever cry. I mean, I know my parents argued. My mom was sad. They cried at, at movies. But it's very different when you wake up and you hear a parent crying, an adult crying. And that's, you know, I overheard the conversation. I never went downstairs. But that's when he said to the grandparents, you know, oh, my God, he's mongoloid. And I had no idea what mongoloid meant. Studying in history, mongoloid were the the natives that came over from Mongolia across Bering Strait. 
But obviously it wasn't a good thing. (laughs) He wouldn't have been crying if it was a good thing. So I didn't know at the point, but I knew that this was not okay. And um, my grandparents, though, I never really heard them. I, I just know that they obviously were consoling him. And these were people, foreigners. My grandmother was educated, but the rest of them were not. They didn't know what that meant. They just knew they need to rally around their son and son-in-law. The next day, and I thought this was the first danger, danger, warning, warning sign. Uh, I was being taken to the hospital to visit my mom, but David was going to school. So we both weren't going to see the baby. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, I still didn't tell my dad that I knew. So we go to the hospital and we see this. And he was Brucey. I didn't know it was going to be Bruce at the time. Um he was this scrawny, tiny little thing. He had been five <laughs> weeks premature. And, and, but I knew. I didn't know what I, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew what I was seeing. I saw the slanty eyes. I saw the big tongue. And a baby, like everybody in the nursery is crying. One baby cries, they all cry. Well, they were all, right. he was silent. He was oh. not crying. Okay. And I thought, okay, this is it. I go to the hospital room. My mother has no idea. She's so excited to see me. She was just so excited that I was there. And she says, isn't he adorable? And he's so tiny and he's so cute. And I, I went along with it. He's adorable. And he's so tiny. He's skinny. He's scrawny. He's early. And it was a lovely visit. But I still didn't get how she didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't right. know when I knew. So I didn't get it. And my father still hasn't said anything. And we walk out of the hospital and I had, I said to him, daddy, I know, I know I heard. And I know. And his response was, then obviously, you know, how difficult this is going to be. That that was the conversation. (laughs) I thought, well, I went, "Uh, I get why David's not here. Right. I I don't know what he would have known at just going to turn nine. You know, my granddaughter's nine and, I see what she doesn't get around the world, which is fine. She shouldn't get it. Um, and that that was the beginning, really, <laughs> of the end until we all got ourselves together because um, my mother came home, I think, two days later. David still didn't know. And my father knew that I knew, but I don't know if my mother knew because she called us into the bedroom. They were in their bedroom. She was in the bed. And Brucey hadn't come home yet. And um, they didn't call us in together to tell us together. They told us separately. I don't know what they told David, but I know what they told me. And they called me in and told me, my father said, we've been, dis- we've, we've been declared mentally unfit to take care of this baby. And he's, going, oh, wow. and he's going to an institution. My goodness. So can you tell the listeners, because just the term mongoloid is something we don't even use anymore. No. So can you just kind of give listeners an idea of what it was like then when a child was born with special needs like Down syndrome? Yeah. So that's exactly what mongoloid was. It was Down syndrome. And unfortunately, you know, remember, so Brucey would be, would have been 54 this August. So this was 54 years ago that he was born. There were no organizations like there are today. I don't know of it. And if there were, we didn't know. We never right. went to counseling. We never went to therapy. It, that wasn't done. And it, it, it was almost an embarrassment. It, it was it was it was not something spoken 
about. Um, I had a handicapped cousin and it was their, her parents, my father's cousin that convinced them to put him away. Because at that time, at that time, um, Down syndrome children were believed to be trainable, life skills, uh, maybe packing boxes, but not educable. And educable meant they weren't going to read. They weren't going to write. They would learn an exit sign. They would learn how to go to the bathroom, toilet themselves. Uh, They could possibly say, may I be excused. But there were no expectation of a higher level of thinking. That wow. And back then, uh, they weren't expected to live long. Okay. So, and I don't know what long, back then I didn't know what long meant. I just right. knew that maybe he wouldn't get to adulthood. I don't know because nobody was talking about a plan of a long life for him. Anyway, he wasn't going to be in the picture. So right. Um, they told me what the institution was, was Penhurst, and I went to my Britannica. Again, I don't know what would have I mean, being younger, I probably wouldn't have done this. So I went to my encyclopedia and I found pictures, and I have to tell you, Elizabeth, today I can't discuss the pictures that I saw. I just At Penhurst? I can't, I can't were talk. These, were these images about Penhurst, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. of, of, of their, as they called them, their inmates. Oh, Oh, and I just walked in with the pictures of the encyclopedia and I put it down on the bed to my mother. And I said to her, I wouldn't walk my dog there. The baby will not be going there. (laughs) Right. And I, I walked out and I packed a suitcase for my brother and me. And I, um, I called my grandmother and I said, uh, can we come stay with you for a little bit? Because I had no intention of staying there if that's what they were going to. I just, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't know whether they could cope or they couldn't cope, would cope, wouldn't cope. This was a baby. This was a human baby. I couldn't put a dog there. I wasn't going to put a baby there. And um, my grandparents rallied and they made a plan and they came over and they helped and they were great. They were great. And so um, he was with us. You know, we had a lot of fun with him because we didn't know we were children. It didn't matter to us when he walked. It didn't matter to us when he rolled over. We were having fun teaching him to do those things. We were doing patterning before patterning was a thing to do. We I love it. Our Flintstone, if anybody out there remembers the Flintstone styrofoam, big boulder blocks. And we used to build castles and we built him a path and we put his favorite things at the end and we were helping him crawl there and he would squeal and laugh and we were having a great time because we didn't know any better, which was good. Right. So and, good. Yeah. So that so, was the beginning. <laughs> tell me about, you know, because the book does talk about in ways he kind of saved your life or he oh, enhanced yeah. your life. So tell me about some of the things that you all were able to do with him that your parents hadn't planned. And I, and I'm not saying that to blame them, they were in a different generation where you did not incorporate differences. You literally shunned them or put them away. Right. So I'm not saying it to blame them, but, but tell me about some of the things you were able to do and the ways that he impacted your lives so beautifully. So the, the, biggest impact he had was the fact so it was the fact that I had to find a voice so I always had a voice for David but I didn't need the same kind of voice I mean I was his immediate advocate right and 
finding his voice and fighting for him. You know, I always favored the underdog. I, I wanted to be a veterinarian and I was going to be the voice for, for dogs, for animals, to support positive training, to heal them, to be a voice for, for those that had a different language. Well, you know, I, I did become that. It was just <laughs> same plan, different path. Right. And so that's the voice I needed to go. So I never really stood up for myself. I mean, it wasn't like you could bully me, but I never really stood up for myself. But I always protected the underdog and he was the underdog. Right. And I protected him against the institution. My neighbors, the neighbors that we grew up with were afraid of him. Now, how you could be afraid of a baby. I don't care what that baby is, how you could be afraid of a baby unless it's the spawn of the devil. I don't understand. But they were afraid of him. They were uncomfortable and afraid. And it it hurt me. I was enraged. I, my heart was broken. I was enraged. But he was going to be playing with all of us or nobody was playing. And so we invited people over to our house. Our friends, David and my friends, all loved Bruce. They knew him. He was like their own little brother. They would come over. They would come over for weekends and he would be the charmer. He's a baby. All babies are charming. They're adorable. No matter what they do, they're cute. And so, um, right. And so he was accepted by them. And, you know, um, when he was again, smaller, we made sure he went everywhere. When I first went away to college. So I left in the summer term And um, I came home, I guess, I don't know, a visit over the summer, September, maybe. And he, no one was at the house. They waited for me to go away to college and they found uh, a place for him was a wonderful place, Ken Crest in Philadelphia. And so I came home, but no one told me. It wasn't a conversation. We discussed it. And that was it. It was my parents were their boat and the three of us were our boat. And they had their parents to help. But we were kind of never part of the savior. And I guess part of that was to protect us. But my parents never appreciated the assets that David and I were to help with a more positive experience. So I realized they needed to do what they needed to do. I was away at college and I, you know, I found out, I called around and found out from my aunt who told me. And, and he was five or six then? He was five. He was okay. Five. He was five, but it was a great place because the first group home he was in, his parents were educators. His group home parents were educators. Oh, good. They pushed, they taught those boys how to read. My brother knew sign language. Because wow. Down syndrome people with their big tongue sometimes struggle to be able to pronounce things. And his dearest adopted brother, Tommy, couldn't speak. No one could understand him. And they learned sign language. Children that the educational system believed were only trainable could learn sign language. It's another line. I struggle with sign language. And I had children in my school trying to teach me for four years sign language. It never worked. They gave up. I said, you know, we all have our own special needs. <laughs> That's right. That is exactly right. So, we all we have, all our, have own our own little handicaps. And they loved me and they didn't care. They made it work. So, um, but so, and, and that, that was the other advocacy when he was going to be bar mitzvahed. We were, we were conservative Jews and our synagogue didn't do it. I thought they have all these educators there. Not one of them could teach him on a tape like they taught everybody else. 
So a reform synagogue in the neighborhood worked with special needs children uh. and they taught him his bar mitzvah part. And so he was bar mitzvah there. And I insisted that our rabbi had to be there. It was unacceptable to be mitzvah in his own synagogue. And when he saw, you know, Bruce just charmed everybody. And he went up and did a great job. And his teachers were so proud. That rabbi in Cantor was so proud that my rabbi realized what he had missed, what he was right. missing. The joy that he watched was something he really wasn't part of. But my parents had no plan to make Bruce a party. I insisted oh. on the party. So the luncheon afterwards was at my house. Oh, I made the And so, you know, he he didn't really become, I, I say an afterthought, and that's a strong word, but it was an inconvenience. So mm-hmm. I started coming home from college more because the weekends I came home, Bruce came home. And so we were home together, right? And uh, and so I I insist on on his inclusion on a lot of different things. David was good at that, not as strong as I was, but when I noticed that that was happening, I met with David and I said, "We need to rally the troops because it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Right. There's no such thing. He's he's not an inconvenience. It takes time. They have to pick him up at his group home. It's not around the corner. That was their decision, and within that decision." has to come some compromises. His time with us is not a compromise. That's not negotiable. So it was always a push to have him included. And that 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 was that voice that all through college, you know, got me through to for me, for me to take that his is so case. fantastic. What yeah. are some of the things that he brought in your life that you would have not had otherwise? Oh gosh. Um a lot of friends. <laughs> You know, it's like uh, when I was in the neighborhood walking my greyhound, she was a novelty. I met people. Um, Him, it was just him learning patience, seeing the world a different way, having to understand what he said, being the advocate. You know, I could have been footloose and fancy free. I will tell you one thing, though, where my mother did have her head together. She knew that I wanted to become his legal guardian. I was going to, because one, so that's when they put him in the group home. I was just going to turn 18 and I had declared myself. I went to Harrisburg with uh, a wonderful teacher that supported me at college professor, my mentor, my father due to financial situations because my parents couldn't handle things. And I had been declared legally independent at 18, which meant I could have taken Bruce and become his legal guardian and my mother made sure that he went into that group home because after he went into the group home, he becomes a ward of the state. Okay. I had to really go to court and fight the state of Pennsylvania to claim my brother. And that she did not want. She did not want me to have to be totally responsible for him. Okay, I have to give her a lot of credit. I mean, in that regard, she was holding her ground and she was she was just not going to let me usurp that from her. She was not right. right. So I had to give her a lot of credit for that. She wasn't there for a lot of other things, but that she made sure that that was not going to happen. And there have been so many changes today that must be as an educator, that must be heartening for you to see. Absolutely. Because because there are children and young adults with Down syndrome going to college, certainly working jobs, maybe some Mm -hmm. of the most reliable employees anyone could have ever dreamed to have. And uh, what are some of the things you would like, just a couple of things you want people to know 
about when they meet someone with Down syndrome or somebody has a baby with Down syndrome? What are a couple of tips you would give them? I think it's not even just Down syndrome. It's any special needs. The, the, the spectrum of autism, people are terrified when they hear the word autism, Asperger's. They're people. Special needs people are special. They're special. They contribute to society. And as, as, as one reviewer wrote, it, it was so nice to read a story, not having the experience, to hear how someone with special needs can contribute so much to society if we all just took the time to listen. I love it. And so that was the biggest gift. And that's the truth. Somebody else asked me that as well. They look different. People with autism don't always, but there are people with special needs and, and physical handicaps that do look different. There are people you, you cannot be afraid of them. It's, it's, it's human nature to be uncomfortable. Listen, I, I grew up with a Down syndrome brother. I have life skills children in my, in my building. And there are still people that, that I have come across that I have to take a deep breath and go, okay, walk, you're walking a fine line right now. Cause you don't always know exactly how they're going to be. But if you smile and your voice is calm and you don't rush them, I mean, even like dogs, you know, they, they, they don't understand all the things that happen, but if you give them a minute, a minute, ugh, you get so much back from that because they are loving, warm, kind, and just, uh, they love having people understand that they're not, they know they're different, that you don't need to, you don't need to act like they're different. They get it. Yeah, (laughs) They know know that they're not keeping up with you. They know that they haven't processed all the things that you have said. They know that. Instinctively, they know that. They don't need to be reminded. All they need is respect and, and a gracious, kind warmth that they instinctively respond to. And, and, and Bruce was a charmer. I mean, to know Bruce was to love him. That was the bottom line. And it's not just because he was my brother. That's what people told us after they met him. And that's the response that I've gotten from people that have read the book. It's not, oh my gosh, you wrote this so well. Those are not the comments. The comments are about Bruce and his voice and what he brought to the world. And that was the point of the book. And the beautiful thing about writing is that you can keep someone alive forever so people can know your brother. So where can people find out more about your writing and where can they get this wonderful book? Thank you for calling it wonderful. So it is on Amazon. They can go to amazon.com. Okay. And it's there as listen to me, how my Down syndrome brother saved my life. As soon as they put in the how, it comes up. You can also find it on Reedsy Discovery. Anybody that's on Reedsy Discovery uh, can find the book as well. Um, and uh, Goodreads, but you can't you can't read you can't buy the book there. But the book is posted there. With um, if you don't mind, it, it, there's author pages on both of that Amazon and Good sure. and Goodreads. And uh, I I read Goodreads every day, so they can follow the author at Goodreads. They can Good. ask me questions. They can talk to me. I've had some marvelous conversations with people 
in in France. My my niece lives in France and bought the book. And so her friends who never knew my brother, obviously, um, have have written to me and we've carried on wonderful conversations. So that's nice. What do you think Bruce would say about the book if he were alive? Oh God, he uh, so uh, depending on the story I told would depend on the response. <laughs> so um, he would love it. He would love it. He loved hearing stories about him. He loved pictures. Brucey loved family pictures, which are in the book. I have pictures of us in the book. But um, he loved family pictures, and he had a memory of the past like a sponge soaking in water. When we packed up the house to move, and he was still coming over on Sundays, of course, helping us. But he went shopping in my closets while I was trying to pack. We took down pictures and packed them up and wrapped them. And he could tell me each picture on the wall that was missing. Oh, wow. He couldn't remember that every time I took him back, we were going on the Tacone Palmyra Bridge over the Delaware River. That he couldn't tell me. But every picture in my house, he could tell me. And he could tell me what we were doing in that picture right on point. So it depends on what was important to him. So this would have been important. He would have loved the pictures. And he would have loved hearing him, his dialogue, remembering those experiences to be told over and over again. He loved that stuff like a little kid. He loved that. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing your brother with the world. And thanks so much for being here today with us. I love that you had persistence inside you from a very early age and how beautifully that helped. Yeah, it did. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to the audience that's going to listen to this. This was just as delightful as the first time I spoke with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.